Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good. Wow, this sounds like a rowdy crowd here. I'm thrilled to death to see if you're visiting with, with us. Thank you so much for coming by today. This morning, I'm going to wrap up a sermon series entitled Making Us Mom and Dad. And we're going to learn a third fundamental fact about parenting that everyone has to know. And I have uh, found this fact illustrated in a story from the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 37, all the way through 50. So yes, we're going to be covering 13 chapters in one sermon this morning. What do you think about that, huh? I'm going to tell you as concisely as I possibly can the story of Joseph. And many of you have heard that story. You're so familiar with it. I want you to fight against the uh, the temptation to just kind of disconnect and say, when he finishes the story, I'll come back. I want to hear what he's got to say about it. I want you to really listen to the story carefully. I'm going to read a portion of it, but tell you most of it. And I want you to understand that somewhere in this story, there's a fundamental fact about parenting. I want you to see if you can pick up on it. It's a fact that everyone has got to know about parenting. So you ready? Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse number 2. The Bible says this is the account or story of Jacob and his family. And I want some of you just thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said it was the story of Joseph. Well, before you can really understand the story of Joseph, first of all, you've got to understand the story of a man named Jacob. So let me give you just a little of his story. Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. When he was an adult, he moved out, relocated in the region called Haran. And in Haran, he met and fell in love with a woman named Rachel. One day, Jacob goes to Rachel's father, Laban, and he pitches an idea. He said, I'm willing to work for you for seven years, and all you really got to give me in turn is Rachel's hand in marriage. So Laban's two thumbs up. I'll take that deal. And the Bible says that Jacob so loved Rachel that those seven years seemed but a few days. So Jacob and Rachel's wedding day comes, and on the wedding night, something happened I can't possibly explain. Somehow or another, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying not Rachel, his youngest daughter, but Leah, his oldest daughter. You say, how could that have happened? I don't know. Weird, right? That's what I thought. Man, this is kind of weird. Well, when the light of day came, Jacob realized this is not the woman I worked seven years for. He's angry. He goes to Laban and he confronts Laban. And all Laban could say was, hey, in our culture, uh, the younger doesn't marry before the older. And Laban says, I got a deal for you. I'll give you Rachel. You can marry Rachel in seven days. In other words, when your honeymoon with Leah is over, you can marry Rachel. So you kind of see that it's getting more messed up, right? Haran was just kind of a messed up place. He says, if you will work for me seven more years, when your honeymoon with Leah is over, you can marry Rachel. Jacob took that deal. So, on the day after his honeymoon, he gets married again. 
Seven days earlier, he's a bachelor. Within a week, he's attended two weddings. Both were his. <laughs> Seven days earlier, he's a bachelor. Seven days later, he has not one but two wives. And those two wives are sisters. Jacob loved Rachel. He did not love Leah. And that created a very unhealthy spirit of competition in Jacob's family. It opened up what I like to call the baby wars. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son for Jacob. And then another. And then another. And then another. Scoreboard reads Leah 4. Rachel zero. In this time, Rachel never conceived. She's starting to get desperate. She, she wants in the game. She wants to score some points in this baby war. So she's so desperate, she go gets her slave girl, Billa. She brings the slave girl back to Jacob and says, start sleeping with her. So perhaps she will conceive and give you sons for me. So Jacob goes, okay. So now he is sleeping with not one, not two, but three women. And in time, Billa conceives and gives him two more sons. Well, Leah has stopped conceiving. She hasn't borne any sons in quite a while. So she's desperate to get back on the scoreboard as well. So she goes and gets her servant girl, Zilpah. She takes Zilpah to, to Jacob and says, Here's what I want you to do. Start sleeping with her and maybe she can give you more sons for me. And so Jacob says, absolutely not. No, he said, okay. <laughs> so Jacob starts sleeping with four women. Is this messed up? <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Man, we can say amen right there and it was worth coming. Huh? I'm telling you, it's messed up. So Jacob starts sleeping with the fourth woman. She, in time, conceives, gives him two more sons. And then Leah conceives again. And again. And she gives Jacob two more sons, so that now the tally is ten sons complete. The scoreboard reads Leah, six. Billa, two. Zilpah, two. Rachel, zero. The Bible says that God chose to answer Rachel's prayer for a child. Rachel conceived and gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Joseph. In time, she conceived again and gave birth to a second son and named Benjamin, and unfortunately, while she was giving birth to Benjamin, she died. So, there's the story of Jacob. Let's go back to chapter 37, verse 2. It said, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, so we see the clock has been ticking, uh, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for, you see that? He worked for, not just with, but for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some, not all, some of the bad things 
his brothers were doing. So while he's working for his half-brothers, tending these sheep, his brothers are doing some bad things. For some reason, Joseph feels compelled that daddy needs to know about not all of this, but some of this for sure. I don't know if it was they were doing some things that were costing Jacob money, and Joseph feels responsible to step in and say, hey, Pop, there's some things going on that you need to know about. So he told his dad what was going on. Look at verse number 3. There, those first three words, those first three words are critical. Do you see them? Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph. No mistaken about that. The Bible declares it to be so. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. You've got to understand, uh, Jacob's been waiting a long time for his beloved Rachel. To give him a child and to give him a son, it's finally happened. Now, the other boys, they haven't been conceived in love. Joseph, however, has been conceived in love. And for that reason, I believe, those two reasons, because he waited so long, because he was conceived in love, Jacob loved this boy. Look what he did for him. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, or as the King James Version says, it was a coat of many colors. It was a spectacular garment. And I believe old Joseph loved to put that thing on, walk around the house, you know, and maybe just put it on, sit back, watch TV, eat a few chips, and of course with a napkin on, you don't get anything on that coat of many colors but I believe he sported that thing around and the other brothers every time they saw him in it they just felt a little something what do you think it was look with me so but his brothers verse number four hated Joseph not Jacob hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them and they couldn't say a kind word for to him but I bet you they had some words for him about this time Joseph has two dreams Those of us who know the story know those dreams originated with God. And he gave those dreams to Joseph as a means of showing Joseph that one of these days, son, you're going to rule. You're going to sit on a throne and your kingdom will be so great that even your brothers and your father will bow to you. So Joseph, you know, I can just see a man putting jelly on the toast. And and he says, hey, boys, I want to tell you about this dream. They knew what it meant. I mean, could this be real? He's daddy's favorite. Is he also God's favorite? How do you think they responded? Do you think they applauded and said, man, royalty coming from our own house here. You know what? The Bible says they hated him even more. At a time when when tensions were the most high, the ten older brothers take their father's flocks up into the mountains to graze them. And some time must have passed, and Jacob is getting antsy. He's concerned, and I'll be honest with you. I don't know that Jacob is as concerned for his ten older sons as he is for his flocks. So he says, Joseph, go up there and check on them. They see Joseph coming in the distance, and how could you miss him with that coat on? And you are not going to believe what they did. They conspired together to kill him. They're half-brother. They came to the conclusion. Listen, they were so jealous of him. They so hated him. They came to the conclusion, you know what would be best? You know what we need to do? We ought to kill him. They decided we're going to kill him and throw him in an empty well, leave him. 
And then one of them said, nah, let's not do that. Let's throw him into the empty well alive and leave. And we'll leave him here to slowly starve to death in the bottom of an empty well. Is that cruel or what? Is that cruel or what? Somebody had the idea? Nine of the brothers says, like it. Let's do it. I've always pictured Joseph walking up going, hey guys, how you doing? And with, out of nowhere, those ten guys pounced on him. The first thing they did was strip that coat off of him. Then they threw him down in a well. And the Bible says that as Joseph was pleading for his life, they sat down and had lunch. Against the backdrop of their brother begging for mercy, they're sitting there asking each other, you going to eat your pickle? Calloused, cold, completely indifferent, didn't care. They see a caravan of slave traders coming in the distance. And one of the guys says, I got, I got the idea. Bottom line is we just want to get rid of him, right? Right. We can do this without killing him. His blood won't be on our hands. And we can make a little money. Let's sell him to those guys. Once again, they all agreed. They pull him up out of the well. Joseph watches in horror as his ten half-brothers sell him for 20 pieces of silver. That means he realized that to each of them, I'm worth two pieces of silver. They watched as Joseph was shackled to a procession of other men, women, and children who had either been taken captive or they had been sold into slavery. And they watched their brother walk away. In the meantime, they killed a goat, and then they took that coat, and they dipped it in the blood. And let me tell you what those cowards did. They didn't take the coat to their daddy. They had the coat sent to their daddy, knowing that he would deduct from the blood on the coat that my son has been killed by a wild animal. He's dead, and he's gone. They didn't care about Joseph, and they didn't care about their father. It didn't matter that he would enter into decades Serious grief. What became of them? After that day, what became of Joseph? I'll tell you this very quickly. Joseph was taken down into Egypt. He was sold as a slave. A very powerful, wealthy man named Potiphar bought him, put him to work as a slave in his house. Joseph so excelled. Listen, he was a man of such integrity and character. And, and he, he was so intelligent, so competent, so capable. And God was, on top of all that, God was with him. Everything he did succeeded. And Potiphar just promoted him. It gave him one promotion after another. Until the next thing you know, Joseph is administrating his entire elaborate estate. The Bible said he was in, he was in such charge that Potiphar never concerned himself with anything but what he was going to eat for supper that night when he got in from work. That's it. Ten years, Joseph was on an incline. And then, and, and, and ten years, he was framed for a crime that he didn't commit. And then he had to do a, a stint in prison because of it. So Joseph's ride in Egypt was kind of like this and then this. In the prison, the warden couldn't help but notice the same things about him Potiphar had. And so even as a prisoner, he placed Joseph in charge of the entire prison system. You see it? Man, he's climbing up again. 
He does a favor for a guy who has the power and the authority to see to it that he gets out of prison. And the guy says, Gosh, you've done me a favor. I promise I'm going to get you out of here. Joseph is climbing, climbing. And you know what the Bible says? That guy completely forgot him and left him to languish in the prison for two more years. Up and down. Emotional roller coaster. After 13 years, Joseph's nightmare turned into a dream come true. Listen to me. Are you still looking for that fundamental fact about parenting in this story? Look for it. Through a sequence of events that only God could have orchestrated, Joseph was freed from prison and given a job working for Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. You know what the job was? Right-hand man. Pharaoh said, uh, I want you to be the prince. I'm the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You're going to be the prince of Egypt. You will run my entire country. All of a sudden, Joseph went from being a convict to being the second most powerful man in the civilized world. He ruled on a throne of the most powerful, prosperous country in the world at that time. That's quite a promotion, guys. You know what it was? It was God making his dreams come true. That's what happened to him. You say, what happened to the other ten guys? After all that took place, well, let's jump way ahead in time. We're going to go right to the end of the story. Over 20 years passed, and these ten older brothers and Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, and Jacob, their father, are all eventually reunited with Joseph in Egypt. And Jacob spent his last days there with his beloved Joseph. And when the day of his death came, he's on his deathbed. He calls for all 12 boys, all 12 boys to gather around his bed. And he said, guys, I've got final words for you. And even I'm going to tell you what I think about you. And I'm going to even throw in some prophetic words and tell you what your future holds. And so, you know, it says, think about this. You want to know what happened to these boys? It's coming straight from their daddy's mouth. He started with the oldest, Reuben. He looked at Reuben and he said, you're my firstborn. Born to me in my youth and in my vigor. As the firstborn, you've got a lot coming to you. Position, power, wealth. He said, Reuben, I'm demoting you. I'm not considering you my firstborn. I'm stripping all that away from you. From me, son, you're getting nothing. And here's why. You have no moral boundaries. You would literally do anything if you thought it would help you get ahead. This is what he said. This is what he said. This is in Genesis. He said, you slept with my wife. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn Slept with his own stepmother. Messed up? That's messed up. I mean, you think, oh man, that had to be painful. That had to be brutal on old Reuben. Well, he turns to his two other sons, Simeon and Levi. He said, you two guys, you're no more than cold-blooded killers. He said, you've killed men. And this was a strange thing. He said, and you've crippled cattle. <laughs> For no more than sport. <laughs> you know what he's saying? You're cruel. 
He said, you're, you're angry, cruel men. And in essence, this is what he said to them. I am so grateful that soon I'll never see you again. You say, this dude should have written Hallmark cards. <laughs> huh? I mean, they're, really, they're having a family moment here, aren't they, huh? He had some good things to say about Judah, and we might surmise from that that Judah was a good guy. But you know what the Bible says about Judah? Judah consorted with prostitutes, had sex with his own daughter-in-law, and had a baby with his own daughter-in-law. Can this get more messed up? He turns to his son Issachar, and he said, Issachar, you're a dim-witted, thick-skulled. If I had to compare you to an animal, I'd say you were a donkey, and that's kind of a mild translation right there. He said, it's a good thing you got a strong back because you will do nothing but hard labor all of your days. And he turned to one of the guys named Dan. And he said, Dan, you ain't nothing. That's a Hodge translation. You ain't nothing but a snake in the grass and a venomous snake at that. That's pretty tough, man. You know what, they, you know what happened to them? You know what they became? You're seeing what they became. Some of his other words to his sons were mild. You say, well, maybe they were good guys. Remember this. They were all murderers, and they were all liars. He finally turns to Joseph. I can just see him look around the room at every one of them. He looked at Joseph, and he's, his words were nothing but praise for everything he'd been through and everything he'd accomplished. Every word he had to say about his future, he said, as, as much as you've been blessed, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Son, you wait till you see what's coming. And then he said, you're the prince of your brothers. You are the cream of this crop. That's what he said. Ronnie, why are you telling this story? I want you to see that Joseph and his ten older brothers were radically different people. Polar opposites. Joseph possessed integrity. The ten were exceedingly immoral. Joseph cared about others. The ten only cared about themselves. Joseph always acted responsibly. The ten were terribly irresponsible. Joseph saved lives. That's what the Bible tells us about him. The ten took lives. Joseph was good. The ten were bad. Joseph was godly. The ten were ungodly. I just want you to see how different they were. Here's what blows my mind. They were raised by the same daddy in the same house. How could that happen? And one son turned out so dramatically different than his ten older brothers. What made the difference? Here's my take. I think love made the difference. That's the only difference I can find in these, in these 11 boys. Jacob loved Joseph in such a way that Joseph knew that he was loved. 
Joseph's ten half-brothers had to doubt if they were loved at all. You say, how do you get that? You know what this robe represented? This robe that Jacob gave his son? It's a gift you bestowed on your firstborn. It was the outward evidence that Jacob considered Joseph to be his firstborn son and Joseph stood to inherit what his daddy had. Those ten boys were born before Joseph. What do you think that said to them? I know what it said to them. You didn't count. You don't count. You ten guys add up to a big zero. Joseph won. I find another conversation where Jacob was speaking to his ten sons. And he said, my wife, singular, speaking of Rachel, which already implies that their mothers didn't count. Leah didn't count. Billa didn't count. Zilpah didn't count. He said, my wife, Rachel, had two boys. Two. One is gone, speaking of Joseph. And I've only got one left, Benjamin. You hear what he said to them? I've only got one son. Who did he say that to? His ten boys. You wonder how that made them feel? I promise you, it didn't make them feel loved and valued. Joseph was loved and he knew it. I'm pretty sure that the ten concluded they were unloved. That's the only difference I find. And I believe that love made a big difference in these boys. From this household, we learn a fundamental fact about parenting we cannot overlook. Fact three is this. Love is our gift to children. You see that? Love is our gift to children. You say, why, Ronnie? Because love makes all the difference. All the difference. So, Ronnie, I wonder why. This is, this is my take. I believe love is a basic human need. The psychological community has been telling this for over 70 years. In 1943, psychologist Abram Maslow introduced us to what he called the hierarchy of human needs. He contended that in order for a human being to become a healthy, happy, contributing member of society, that person has to be loved. This shouldn't come as any surprise to those of us who know the Bible. There was a day when a guy asked Jesus, is is there any of the commandments that would be greater than the other? And Jesus said, sure there is. Here's the greatest commandment, love God. And before they could finish the conversation, he said, now there's one that's just equally as important. Love people. From that statement, I think it is safe to conclude that there's a reason Jesus told us to love people. I not only believe that he is identifying that it's a basic human need, From the fact that he said it is equal to the greatest commandment of all. I believe he's telling us that being loved is the greatest human need. It's the thing that we need the most is to be loved.
Therefore, if we fail to show love, we're depriving people of what they need the most. I'm about through. You still with me, right? If we don't communicate love, share love, then we're withholding the greatest need. We're, we're keeping that from people. How does that affect them? This is my take. I believe it creates emotional, relational, and spiritual damage. And I believe we see it in those ten boys. People who didn't feel loved by their parents suffer from a depleted sense of self-worth or what we might call low self-esteem. They often embrace a driven, performance-oriented, perfectionistic way of thinking. Their aim in life is to do, it, do enough and do it well enough that somebody along their life's path recognizes their value and will finally love them. People who didn't feel loved by their parents often have a real problem loving others. It may be that they just don't know how because it was never modeled to them. Or perhaps they're afraid to love somebody else out of fear that that love will never be reciprocated. Either way, those people suffer relationally. Worst of all, people who didn't feel loved by their parents, especially by their father, have a tendency to put the face of their unloving parent on God's face and spend the rest of their lives trying to be good enough or do enough to earn or keep God's love when the truth is God loves us unconditionally. And people who land on this spiritual treadmill never relax and enjoy a true love relationship with God. And that is a shame. Being loved and feeling loved is the greatest need our children have. So parents, what are we going to do? We're going to love our kids. Love will be our gift to them. We're going to love them unconditionally. We're going to love them when they're behaving or misbehaving. We're going to love them when we're affirming them. We're going to love them when we're correcting them. We're going to tell them over and over again how much we love them. We're not going to assume that they know. We're going to make sure that they know. It's important that we tell them, but it's far more important that we show them. Even Jacob knew that. Jacob wanted to demonstrate his love by giving Joseph a very special gift. If kids are going to be sure that they're loved, then parents must show that love. And what's the best way to do this? If if kids are going to know their love, parents have got to show that love. They've got to demonstrate. What's the best way to do it? Kids, I know what you're thinking. New car, ATV, a hunting trip in Wyoming. You've got all these ideas. Parents, you know the best way to show your children you love them? Give yourself to your kids. Jesus taught us in the Bible that love sacrifices. We show our love for our children by always putting them first and sacrificing so that we can put them first. I raised two kids. Lynn and I raised two kids in our house. And I got a boy named Jonathan. And Jonathan was rough on our house. You know what I'm talking about? Now, Jonathan's buddies for whatever reason, all chose that they would hang out at our house. So for years, when you got up in the night, you had to be very careful. You had no idea how many bodies you would have to step over to get to the refrigerator or the restroom. 
We were thrilled. Wouldn't have it any other way. Matter of fact, we miss our boys. We're grateful for that. But I must tell you, they destroyed our house. So as Jonathan is, is getting ready to move out, we all moved out for four months and we did a huge remodel on our house. And so one day, I, Jonathan is there and I'm showing him some things that we've done and I can't remember what it was. It might have been the hardwood floors. And, and he's, you know, he looked at it and he said, I don't see why you waited so long to do all this. I said, uh, step around the corner into that hallway bathroom. Turn on the light and look in that mirror. There's one. That's one reason. I said, grin in that mirror and see how straight those teeth are. Because our new living room set was on your mouth for about three years, and that's how you got those straight teeth. Yeah. You're in your mom's new bedroom suit. You're driving it. You've been driving it for three years. You know what we did? Well, we raised kids. Judy, we sacrificed. They were first. Whatever had to be put on hold was put on hold. And they got the best. You want to make sure your kids know that you love them? Give them your time. Give them your attention. Give them your affection. You give them your best. You give them yourself. Love makes a difference. So you let love be your gift to your children. Let's close this out. Quick review. What have we learned? Fundamental fact one, children are a gift from the Lord. Uniquely fashioned graciously given to the parents so here's what we're going to do we're going to we're going to be grateful for those gifts and we're going to enjoy those gifts second fact children are a gift to god we got to release them one day and in between the day that they are given to us and the day we set them free We've got to do our part to get them to God. To help them develop a, a vital relationship with Him. So that the day they depart from our house, no matter where they go, they're going to follow the Lord. And they're going to find a way to serve Him some capacity. Act three. And in my opinion, it's the big one. What was it Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? You can have all this stuff and you can do all this stuff, but without love, it means absolutely nothing, right? Fundamental fact three is the big one. Love is our gift children we never give them the impression that you got to earn it and you never we never give them the impression you got to earn it back 
We're going to love them unmistakably. And we're going to love them unconditionally. That's their greatest need. Let's pray together. Every head bowed. Everybody's just, just, you just talk to God. Parents, you know, you don't know really how to apply this. Love your kids the way God loves you. That's it. You treat your kids the way God treats you. And it'll be all right. Thank you, God. Thank you for our kids. Thank you that you have made a way that we can be your kids. And help us pattern ourselves after you, Lord. For the sake of our kids, the sake of their future, the sake of our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I love you all. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. You're dismissed.